1: Welcome everybody, alright, we're talking about the power of words, and you know, if you think about it, mankind, the way that he has conquered beasts, horses, animals of all kinds, is through their mouth, and, and it, you know, if they lead them by their mouth, sometimes, with like a horse with a bit, you know, it's it's pretty amazing how powerful the mouth is, and the mouth creating words, and in, in, in the human life, which is what we communicate by, are extremely powerful, and we have no idea oftentimes how we come across with the words that we use. You know, if the eyes are the window to the soul, then words are basically the gateway to the mind, and words represent thoughts, and the closest a person can get to understanding another person's thoughts is to listen to the words that they speak and write. And certain words reflect the behavioral characteristics of the person who spoke or wrote them. And so there's word clues that that increase the probability of predicting behavioral characteristics of people. And by analyzing the words, they can choose when they speak or write. And so word clues alone cannot determine a person's personality traits, but they do provide insights into a person's thought process and so the hypothesis is basically uh, that word clues then uh, tested by using other information from the person and third party cobbler. Uh, co- collaboration can give us a lot of information because the human brain is incredibly efficient and when we think we only you uh, when we use verbs and nouns adjectives adverbs and other parts of speech are added during the transformation of thoughts into spoken and written language and so the words we add reflect who we are and really what we're thinking so you know the basic sentence consists of a subject and a verb you know for example I walked, consists of a pronoun, I, which is the subject of the word, is walked, which is the verb. And so, any words added to the basic sentence structure modify the quality of the noun or the action of the verb. And so, those uh, deliberate modifications provide a lot of information about a person's personality. And so, you know, these uh, 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 people who observe... And develop hypotheses make a lot of educated guesses, just like you do, regarding the behavioral characteristics of other people. Uh, So, if you said, I quickly walked, uh, the word clue quickly infuses a sense of urgency. So, that person may be uh, in a hurry, or they may be impatient, or they may be excited. But there's a lot of information that we didn't have about that person, because he or she is, is late for an appointment, let's say, or anticipates being late for an appointment. So that means they're a conscientious person. And so that uh, uh, characteristic makes good, good employees, if you're looking for an employee, because they do not want to disappoint their employer. And, and, and people quickly walk when they encounter great threats. Uh, the general threat might occur while walking through a, a bad neighborhood, let's say, or approaching bad weather. Uh, could present that threat, but walking quickly to avoid a thunderstorm reduces the threat of a lightning strike or getting wet. So, people might add the word quickly for a whole lot of different reasons, but there's a specific reason for their choices. And so, you know, uh, these things, these clues prevent, uh, uh, are basically a non-invasive technique to effectively learn how to read people. And so, Let's just take some different things, uh, some different uh, sentence structures and see how they can be looked at. Uh, Let's say uh, someone won won an award. I won another award. The word another conveys the notion that the speaker won one or more previous awards. So that means the person is praising themselves. And they wanted to ensure that other people know that they won at least one other award. Thus, they're bolstering their self and their self-image. And this person may be, uh, need the adulation or the, or the reinforcement of other people for their low self-esteem. And so, some people could exploit this vulnerability by using flattery and ego-enhancing comments. And so, that person can be manipulated because they need to be validated. Uh there is another there's another sentence structure. You know, I worked hard to achieve my goal. Well the word hard suggests the person values goals that are difficult to achieve. Perhaps the goal this person achieved is more difficult than the goals that he or she usually attempts. So the word hard basically looks at this person as they defer gratification And they hold the belief of hard work, dedication, produce good results. And so that person, if they're looking for a job, they're showing good characteristics that would likely make a good employee because they accept process and they accept challenges and they have determination because they use the word hard. And so, you know, it's amazing how this insight really can give us a lot of information about certain people just by dropping a different type of word. You know, if a person said they were patient uh, while they were waiting in the doctor's office. You know, the word patient presents several hypotheses. Perhaps this person is bored. Perhaps they uh, uh, had to return an important telephone call. Perhaps they had to use the restroom. Regardless of the reason, the person is preoccupied with something other than what's going on. So a person who waits patiently uh, before they leave the room, it's probably a person that adheres to social norms, uh, etiquette, and they receive a, 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 a that they receive a telephone call. They get up. They they may uh, leave the doctor's office, uh, go outside, or something like that. You know, they probably don't have rigid social boundaries. So people with social boundaries make good employees because they follow the rules and respect authority. So if they didn't and they just go outside, that's fine. But if they patiently wait in the doctor's office, that means that they're subjecting themselves to a process. And that can be an integrity based quality of a person. Let's say someone said they, they decided to buy that car you know, decided indicates that the person weighed various options prior to the purchase. And perhaps they struggled to some degree before making the decision. And this behavior trait suggests that this person thinks things through, especially if the purchase was a minor one. So the word decided also indicates that the person is not likely to be impulsive because an impulsive person, sorry, there's a blue jay outside my window. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty noisy guy, um, would likely write, you know, I just bought that car. Or the word clue of just suggests that the person bought the item without giving the purchase much thought. So that is quite the opposite of decided. And so, you know, it's amazing how these words can lead to people judging us, uh, whether it's uh, fair or unfair. That's what happens in life. You know, but decided... The, the person can develop a hypothesis that the speaker or the writer is an introvert because introverts think before they act. They carefully weigh each option before rendering a decision. Extroverts tend to be more impulsive. The use of the word decided does not positively identify this person as an introvert but it does provide an indication that they might be an introvert so definitely you know the personality assessment requires more more information but the observer can exploit a person if they know that person tends toward extroversion or inter- introversion based on the word decided you know extroverts get their energy from being around other people introverts get their energy from being alone and so, you know, they they can have so much of exposure to other people, but they basically come to find that it's really hard for them and they need to restore their energy. So they seek stimulation from within. They seldom speak without thinking and and they Introverts carefully weigh options before making decisions. I'm not trying to prop up introverts because extroverts have great qualities of sociality. They can light up a room. They can uh, bring a lot of friendship. They can extend energy when other people don't. They can provide empathy unlike other people can. So, you know, uh, uh, introverts tend to like one-on-one relationships. Extroverts like a room full of energy. And so... You know they can be pressured however to make immediate decisions extroverts whereas introverts don't like that they want to be patient and careful they're more uh, 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 they're more pragmatic in some ways you know if someone says I did the right thing well right suggests that person that struggled with a, a legal moral or ethical dilemma overcame some level of internal, or external opposition to make a fair and just decision. This, this behavior trait basically saying the right thing or the right indicates that person has sufficient strength of character to make the right decision, even when they're confronted with opposing views. That means they have a backbone, they have ba- boundaries and they can stand up for themselves. Unfortunately, some people believe they're right when they're absolutely wrong. Some people have to be right And unfortunately, those people will stick behind, I did the right thing. And by doing that, they're basically just trying to promote themselves. So it takes a little more uh, investigation into that person when we hear them say, I did the right thing, because we want to know what they're they're, uh, up to. What, What are they really trying to say? What's their motive behind what they're saying? And there is a motive behind what everyone says in most situations, you know? Here's an interesting thing. You know, the use of the pronoun I says a whole lot about you as a person. You know, do you, do you think about how often you say the word I? Maybe you should, you know, because your usage of the pronoun I says more about you than you may realize. You know, the frequent I users subconsciously believe they are subordinate to the person who they're talking to. Pronouns, it seems, tell us that what people are paying attention to where someone's internal focus is pointing. Often people using I are being self-reflective, but they may also be self-conscious or insecure, so in physical or emotional pain or simply trying to please. And this goes directly against what a whole lot of us were led to believe, that people who use I are egotistical, focused on themselves, full of themselves, and in a workplace or a job interview. We listen to the frequent use of the I. It's it's always been often a signal that someone who takes full credit and someone who's not a very good team player. So other than the high powered and highly confident who avoids using I, people who are hiding the truth, uh, avoiding first person pronouns is distancing. So people who use the pronoun I more often are more honest communicators and more likely to be telling the truth. And thus, th- this is a good thing. And that means trust might be something that you can establish with that person. The bolsterous eye user, however, you need to watch out for. So, you know, with the, looking at the psychology of words, word use and pronouns are, are, are extremely important for all of us to understand. And so, You know, as we go through this and as we look at ourselves, we need to think about the words that are in our vocabulary and listen to ourselves about how we communicate. You know, males categorize their worlds by counting, naming, organizing the objects they confront. Women, in addition uh, to personalizing their topics, talk in a more dynamic way, focusing on how their topics change. Discussions of change require more verbs. And so how often Should you use the word I? Well, more to sound humble like a team player or less to come across more assured and authoritative. The answer is mostly more, you know. So are you comfortable with that idea? That might be something that's important for you to consider. You know, words really can't change reality, but they can change how people perceive reality. And your perception is your personal truth. And so words create Filters through which people view the world around them. A single word can make the difference between liking a person and disliking that person. And that's powerful. You know, if a friend describes a person you're about to meet for the first time as untrustworthy, you will be predisposed to view that person as untrustworthy, regardless of the person's actual level of trustworthiness. And so the single word untrustworthy creates a filter or a primary affect that predisposes you to view the person you are about to meet as untrustworthy. Therefore you will tend to view everything that person says or does as untrustworthy. Overcoming negative uh, words like that is difficult. It's not impossible. But the more times you meet the untrustworthy person and do not experience instances of untrustworthiness, the more likely you are to view the untrustworthy person as trustworthy. You know, so you override basically the negative primacy. However, you are less likely to meet an untrustworthy person a second time because you perceive that person as untrustworthy and thereby, therefore, it reduces the probability of overcoming negative primacy. So, you know, on the opposite end, if before meeting a person for the first time, let's say a friend tells you that the person you're about to meet is friendly, then you will likely view that person as friendly, regardless regardless of their friendliness. And if you meet the friendly person several times and do not experience friendliness, then you'll tend to excuse away the unfriendly behavior. And those excuses might be something like this, you know. He must have had a bad day. I must have caught them on a bad time. Everybody has a bad day once in a while. But an unfriendly person initially described as friendly gains an advantage from positive primacy. And that's why if we look at here, we are in the midst of the Democratic and the Republican conventions. That's why those speakers' words count. They are manipulative language to help you predispose your opinion To the person or the party that they want to be elected and so you know that manipulation of words is constantly used in the media to drive a point of view and a characterization about people and 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 most of them are negative quite frankly you know, and that's what people look for. But in this world, we are busy, and people typically do not consult multiple news sources to get balanced world events. Therefore, people tend to perceive world events through the filter created by a single uh, t- TV station, a sim- single newspaper, newscast, radio report. So the media has the power to influence the way people view world events, and they tend to repeat words that the media puts out there and characterize things in the form of what the media wants them to see. So therefore, the media is biased and we're biased. And we expose ourselves and, and are influenced by the choice of words that people use. And, you know, if, you, if you're a detective, if you use the word interrogation instead of the word interview, the likely increases that the investigators would assume that the person being questioned is guilty. So if you use interrogation, they're guilty. That means that you're just trying to get them to admit the truth. But if they're being interviewed, you know, then that's, that's a whole different uh, 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 way of viewing it. And so it's really important to understand how is someone interviewing you as a reporter? Are they interviewing you to get the honest truth or are they interviewing interrogating you? Well, I got to tell you, these days the media interrogates with an agenda. They do not interview. They interrogate. And it's a big difference. And we all have to begin to understand how things are coming about Uh, because this world is moving faster and faster and faster. And it's much less black and white thinking than ever before. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back.
0: Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Listen for Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. Her show topics cover creating lasting transformation in challenging environments and how creating change can have an impact on the success of individuals from a mind, body, and spirit perspective. It's going to be inspiring and uplifting each week. So tune in on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and also listen on the Voice America Business and Influencers Channels. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology.
1: Welcome back, everybody. You know, we're talking about the power of words. And... Right now, I was just discussing how the difference is between an interview and an interrogation. And what we used to think was respectful was an interview. But nowadays, as we look at how the media operates and how they treat the president and everybody else out there, is basically it's interrogation. Um, And 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 that's exactly what happens with Congress and Senate when they bring up controversial people. They're interrogating. And, And, you know, there's a filter that comes through that. But they haven't used the word interrogation, but that's exactly what they're doing. When someone's interrogating, they presume they know the truth and they're just trying to get you to tell the truth as they know it. When someone is interviewing, they're openly trying to get the information from you to legitimately learn the process of what's leading you to make decisions. And so, you know, it's, it's really important that filter, if it's a negative filter like interrogation, That means it's going to be confrontational. Nobody looks forward to confrontation. Interviewers go into interrogation with the preconceived notion that the suspect will be confrontational. Then the interrogation will likely become confrontational because the interviewers will tend to interpret anything that who they're interviewing says or does through the filter of confrontation. So interviewers begin interrogations with a heightened sensitivity a confrontation and therefore the slightest provocation by the person they're interviewing triggers responses or interrogating triggers a, a responses that are more aggressive because inter- uh, because uh, neutral being neutral during interviews be- it cause interviewers uh, a lot of uh, uh, sense of not being effective. And so, the you know, there's another filter that interviewers will likely view interviewees as guilty before they interrogate. And then they perceive everything the interviewee says as a support of the guilt and the discount of what they're saying. And so it's kind of sad that you're always on this day and age with the media, if you are a controversial person, you are set up to fail. You know, there's an alternate approach to an interview or an interrogation, and it places the the, 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 the question on the process, you know, and and it, at, at one end of the, the, the process, the interviewers offer information without resistance. On the other end, interviewees are reluctant to provide information or fall silent. So that concept allows interrogators to glide back and forth along the resistance continuum using the succession of, 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 of very sophisticated interviewing techniques to overcome varying degrees of resistance. So interviewers need only focus on the appropriate selection of interviewing techniques to overcome the resistance. And basically as the interviewee's resistance increases or decreases, the interviewer adjusts their intensity of inquiry, uh, through their interrogation process. You know, uh, it's, it's really important that, um, you know, there's also to understand that there's the thing called a com, uh, com, competing hypothesis. That means there's an educated guess that predisposes a different outcome based on the same or similar set of circumstances. So, for example, when I when if you speak to someone, your initial hypothesis is that the person is telling the truth. The competing hypothesis posts that the person is lying. So during the conversation, you're going to seek, are they telling the truth or are they lying? And that in itself can be an interrogation rather than an interview. So the real question is, when you're listening to the media, is to understand what is their goal? Is it to interrogate and to gather information to validate their perspective on this person? Or are they truly interviewing this person to understand their perspective? You know, if, if you ever interview someone or are watching interviews, it's very important for you to, to gather that information in your mind so that you begin to understand how uh, effective this interrogator or interviewer is. You know, and if you have to look at work, you know, work is a very sensitive environment because all of us work, uh, many of us work, we work many hours more than what we spend with our family. But if you know people like people who fly off the handle without stopping to think about their consequences of what they're saying, or someone who just reacts to something someone said or did, and they start attacking that person with accusations, the damage can be so profound, you know, and so... It, it could forever sever a relationship. And, and so, you know, a lot of people don't understand how their behavior and, and their words can directly impact a person. You know, you, it's amazing that when people, let's say, take drugs or drink alcohol, they lose their inhibitions and they begin to use words that they normally don't use to someone they love and care about because they have no filter in their mind, and they start throwing words out like fat or ugly or mean or, or whatever, and their judgments, and they're attacking the person at the very uh, 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 most fragile part of who they are, and oftentimes people forget those inhibitions, and they don't even remember what they've said, but people that drink and, 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 and drink alcohol or take drugs— or whatever, that what what they end up doing is they throw themselves into using words and using tones that really, truly can hurt other people. You know, if you're a business leader, and you're speaking, you want to think about the words you're using. I remember uh, a guy that used to work with me and he was a great leader. And what he would do is talk about how awesome people are and how beautiful their work is and how incredible their energy is. And, and he used powerful, powerful words of how smart you are, how incredibly intelligent. What, a, what an amazing plan. I would have never thought of that. Using words like that is in words of encouragement. And leaders who use those words can empower people. You know, uh, uh, in, in 1960, when John F. Kennedy was inaugurated, he said, and so, my fellow Americans, I, not, I asked not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, you know? And that was a very potent thing. That means that we all have to be inclusive rather than exclusive, looking at our government as subservient but as our nation to be protected, it, that we, as a, as a citizen— are are not just entitled to all of our rights, but we have to participate. And that was a very powerful statement because most people were thinking our country had to uh, do for us. And so within the words we speak in emotional uh, potency, each word that we use can have an enormous impact. You know, a, a, a word from a manager or boss may at first seem inconsequential, but never think of words as inconsequential. Instead, think of them as powerful. They, they can build up or tear down. They can motivate. They can discourage. And they influence others and build relationships at work, and they can tear down relationships. So language holds massive, colossal power to manifest change. You know, Marcus Aurelius was a Roman emperor from about 161 to 180 until his kid killed him. But he was considered to be one of the most stoic philosophers that ever lived. And he said something really important perform every act in life as though it were your last. And we can take it a step further. Speak every word you say in life. As, you, as, as, as though it were your last. Sometimes it might be the best thing not to say anything at all, you know? And I was often told that, you know, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. But, you know, Benjamin Franklin said, remember not only to say the right thing in the right place, but far more difficult still to leave an unsaid word, the wrong thing, at the tempting moment. And that means we need to pick our battles. You know, choose the words that you speak very carefully because they they can accomplish enormous amounts of things. Let's just say if you're a, a, a person who is very judgy, you might say, well, you know, but, 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 you know, you might say, yeah, that's nice, but. Or you might want to uh, 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 say, well, I don't like it, but I'm sure other people might like it. You know, that, what that's basically saying is is tearing people down. So when we criticize people, it's very important to think of a thing called the sandwiching technique. If you're going to criticize someone, give them a compliment. You know, I really like what you, how you come about doing this. I'm not so sure it's going to work out, but I think it has really good potential because you put a lot of thought into this and you obviously see the value. See, something like that is encouraging. And I know that's just, you know, jibber-jabber, but, but I'm just trying to get to the point that these words really can influence the way you speak, the attitude, the tone. That reflects the person you are, and it basically impacts everything around you. It, it can greatly contribute to your success or your non-success, you know? So the next time, think before you speak, but also understand, what attitude am I bringing to this? Because your attitude can be everything about how you see and how much power you want your words to have to influence other people. And by the way, if you're a control freak, you need to be a good influencer instead of a controller. If you learn to use your words as a way to motivate people, inspire people, you will have more control of your life. But if you try to control people, control itself is a negative word. You know, the single word of, let's say, power, power, power can be interpreted as if somebody is saying, I need the power, well, power means that you're looking for control. But if you need the power of God, that means you're looking outside of yourself for a power beyond you. And that means you're humble. But if you're looking for power, you're basically trying to become powerful. And that means it's a very controlling word. You know, and so I'm just using that as, as, as a sense. Now, there's other positive words such as peace and love that can alter the expression of genes, strengthening areas in our frontal lobes and promoting the brain's functioning. You know, they propel motivational centers in the brain into action. And so it's important to understand if you had an MRI and you were able to read the brain when it's receiving these kind of words. It's amazing the impact they have. You know, I often tell people, I know you just want to be happy, but how about trying for peace? Peace is happiness. Peace means acceptance. And that gives you a place to start. But it also gives you a sense that there's a place to go and it gives you access to all of your emotions and your intuition. And so you're better able to read life When you make peace a goal in your life, love, well, I always say you can love someone and not trust them. But when you trust someone, the love always grows. And so in all relationships, we work on trust because every argument, every conflict you're ever going to have is a trust issue. And so the bottom line, the binder to the book of all relationships is trust. And if you don't respect trust, you're going to have a hard time having relationships with other people. You know, a uh, 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 hostile language can disrupt specific genes that play a key part in the production of our neurochemicals that protect us from stress. Humans are hardwired to worry. So part of our primal brains protecting us from the threats of survival. So our thoughts naturally go there first with negative predictions. And people that live their life through negative predictions oftentimes find themselves depressed because they're doing what's called self-fulfilling prophecies. And so a single negative word can increase the activity in our amygdala, which is the fear center in the brain. And that releases dozens of stress-producing hormones and neurotransmitters, which turn uh, interrupts In our brain's functioning. And this is especially uh, with regard to logic, reason, and language. So our brain is basically turning into the uh, 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 lovely a brain stem, you know, angry words send an alarm messages through the brain and they partially shut down the logic and the reasoning in the frontal lobes. So people that are angry often say stupid things. You never make a decision when you are emotional. That is the wrong time to make any kind of good decision. But the bottom line is people that oftentimes are angry use their inflection and use their words to get people around them to be in fight or flight. So they feel more powerful. It's like being the uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex in a whole room full of coyotes. You know, it's it's just kind of crazy. But that's what people seek. They have this instinct to want power, and so they use their tone and their anger to transform the reality into now I'm the person in the room that needs to be paid attention to, while everybody else scrambles. And they love instigating that brainstem in people because they know that people are not thinking very well when they're afraid and so unfortunately they also require you to have listened keenly to what they have to say even though your brain's not in the condition to hear it because they're coming across as angry and vocal and using nasty words you know using the right words can transform perception it transforms reality you know I, I often also say when when you're trying to heal, a relationship, the person that violates the trust in a relationship, if they were to say, I need you to have faith in me that I will not hurt you like this again. I need you to have faith in me that I've learned from this. I need you to have faith in me that I have learned my lesson. I understand how this has happened, and I don't expect you to trust me, but I do expect you to give me faith that... I can get through this and that we can begin to heal the trust. <clears throat> that is a huge way to get people to heal through trust violations is you don't expect someone to trust you. You do expect them to have faith in you if they're going to stay with you. So you know, there's a lot of research uh, that looks at holding a positive and optimistic word in your mind. You can stimulate frontal lobe activities. So, you know, when I was studying to do counseling, I was so excited by the idea of being able to help other people. And so, that sense of being able to help other people and trusting my instinct and trusting my brain and trusting my knowledge that I would be able to help other people, that optimism led me through that degree and it led me through this field for so many years and and, and still stimulates me to this day is the optimism of trying to help and influence other people in a positive way. The more you concentrate on positive words, the more you begin to affect other areas of your brain. So if you want to reconstruct the neurotransmission of your brain, you want to affect it through using positive words. Um, People that use positive words are magnetic. They are magnetic and they're great leaders and they're enormous influencers. But most of us dwell on the negative, dwell on judgment, because that's much easier than having to be an influential person. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to keep talking about the power of words, but we're going to talk about how they can change our life and transform our life and our relationships. So come back. (music)
0: Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Do you wish you could avoid having difficult conversations with your kids about sex, relationships, and how to stay safe? do you struggle with what and how much to say you're not alone tune into holistic sex ed radio with host Robin LaCrosse for a fresh new perspective on sex education that goes beyond the birds and the bees we gather together every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for conversations designed to improve your relationships expand your knowledge and give you the tools to help your kids make the most out of their lives
1: Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest... Please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd
1: Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right. We're talking about uh, transformative words, the power of words, because that can be that words make such an impact on people in life. But also, I have to tell you, you know, the tone and your body language, if they're not congruent with what you're really saying, then what you're saying is pretty useless. For instance, if you say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that means you're really not sorry. You're just trying to stop the conflict. Um, if you say, you know, I'm really, really sorry for what I did. I I know that it hurt you. What you're really doing is taking accountability because you're offering the tone, the proper tone to come across to the other person in a legitimate way. It doesn't mean they're going to trust you, but it does mean that you're offering congruency in a sense that you take the message serious. You know, language shapes our behavior and each word is 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 embedded with multiple Uh, personal meanings. The right words spoken the right way can bring us love, money, and respect, while the wrong words, even the right words spoken in the wrong way, can lead uh, our country to war. And and so we have to carefully orchestrate our speech if we want to achieve our goals. And that comes from Andrew Nuremberg, who wrote a thing called Words Can Change Your Brain, a book. So, you know, the world's greatest leaders And progressive thinkers have always used words to transform their visions. Winston Churchill focused on the finest hour, Martin Luther King, Jr., uh, the dream, you know, it's evidence that words shape our entire existence. But what about our own ability to use words internally to change our lives for the better? You know, words that will ignite change, inspire action, you know, these, these are vehicles uh, uh, of expressing and sharing our experiences, but but they can be far-reaching. You know, if, if you work with a lot of people and, and you understand people and you listen well, you can listen and learn as to what words are effective and what words aren't effective. You know, the English language itself contains about 500,000 words, yet the average person's working vocabulary consists of about 2,000 words. Can you increase that? Of course you can. People that that, uh, go up to about 5,000 words have a lot more selection to use words, and they can influence people in a better way. But if you give yourself 5,000 words that are positive, what you're going to do is you're going to deeply influence life and increase your intellect by enormous bounds. You know, you want to express your feelings and your ideas. Why are we comfortable with that? Are, we're comfortable with that when we trust that our words are going to motivate. Our brains are working at high speeds. They process information. They work to become efficient. So as a result, we resort to using the same vocabulary over and over again, and that's just lazy. In the pursuit of efficiency, we often create shortcuts that, that shortchange us emotionally in the way that we communicate, you know? Um, Take 10 minutes. Write down all the emotions that you feel at least once a week, not all the not the ones you feel once a month or a year. You know, what do you come up with? Astonishingly, whether whether you uh, uh, understand how much those emotions are, you understand that most of them are negative and they're going to look for negative words. They're going to look for them because they feel that they protect themselves. We all feel that we protect ourselves using negative words because we're deflecting people. You know, uh, the problem is that we have this default setting and and it's not conscious, but we being the lazy people we are, we kind of uh, 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 sit down and have the same emotions over and over again and we just regurgitate them and ruminate through those emotions. And people that can't let things go have a tendency to have very negative perceptions with very negative words and they're always asking why, 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 because they're presuming the motive is whatever negative outcome that they have presented in their own mind. You know, The word why, by the way, is one of the worst words in the English language. The word try is one of the worst words in the English language. Must is a worst word, should is a worst word. Those are negative words. You know, try means there's a back door. Why means you've already presumed the truth, and whoever you're going to talk to is likely going to lie to you because they feel like they've been judged, especially your children. What or how, if you're going to do it, that's a better interrogation because that's an interview. You're trying to find forgiveness with what and how. What made you decide that? How did you come up with the idea that this was a good thing? Instead, we as the lazy people we are would rather just ruminate a bad motive and basically beat on the outcome that we don't like. It's sad, but that's what people do. You know, when we say the word you're lying, how powerful is that to be labeled a liar? That means I can't have relationships with people. I can never have relationships with people if I'm a liar. And it's sad, you know, Uh, uh, you know, people are very judgmental and can use words that are so damaging. You know, I don't like it when you lie, or I I perceive that this is not the truth. How about not the truth instead of you are a liar? Well, once again, people are so lazy that they'd rather just cut to the bone of another person by labeling them that you should have no relationships in life. And basically a liar, you may as well be dead. I mean, that's really, it comes into that connotation, but people don't realize how powerful those words can be to people. And so, you know, uh, if you said, for instance, you know, I think you're mistaken because I know some more information that you don't seem to be presenting. You know, that's a little bit better way. Can't we be respectful of each other? You know, a good listener and a good speaker are one of the most powerful people in this world. A good listener and a good speaker, very powerful. You know, we just have to learn how to now not have that default setting. You know, it, 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 it's it, it's um, if you are frustrated and angry. And the intensity uh, that you're you're having at that moment, that is not the best time to use your words. That is not the best time. Take a time out. One minute for every year of your life before you come back and then try to get yourself back to the adult that you need to be, which is someone who's in control of your anger. Do not speak when you're angry. Not a good idea. Offer a time out and a time back. Don't call a time out and not have a time back. You know? You know, if you, 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 instead of worry, using the word I'm angry, why don't you say I'm a little peeved by this, you know, I, I'm certainly not happy, you know. And, and so using words like that, that's okay. Or, you know, I'm kind of upset about this. That's, you don't have to go all whole hog into I'm angry because if you're doing that, you're reinforcing the idea that you're an angry person or that underneath you is this <laughs> hidden monster, you know. And, and you need to think about that. You can be struck by how these words vary in levels of intensity. You know, if you're frustrated, that's okay. But if you're enraged, that's okay too because you're saying enraged, but you're not producing enraged. But if you're enraged and you begin producing enraged by your body language and the things you do and your tone, that is going to dominate a room and make you look like a crazy maniac. So you want to change your words, you will change your life. And it's possible that words we attach to our experience actually become our experience. You know, if you're going to have children, you need to have positive words. Instead of criticizing kids, you need to encourage them. And that is the best place to practice finding positive words. You know, kids, you're going to get more out of them if you encourage them. But if you discourage them and and you, you criticize them, and you snap judgment on them and you you drop anger on them, they are not going to thrive. And so, you know, uh, create a 10-day challenge for, you know, identify your emotional habits, and then you replace these with new words to break your default pattern and your thought and your feeling. You know, I often tell people, just put a line in the middle of a piece of paper and then say, I fear, and on the other side, say, I have faith that— now, instead of living in fear, you also can live in faith, which is what life is about. Faith, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about leaps of faith because that's what we do. We take calculated risks all the time. And people that do that, instead of just sitting there or procrastinating, people that take constant leaps of faith are going to learn experientially, which is the way life is supposed to be learned. Failure is not important. It's how you respond to failure. And, and so we have to get through life and we have to be the, the one thing. If you look in the Bible, the one thing about the people in the Bible that we have studied through our lives, the people that are focused on, they're resilient. They're resilient. Even if they go through lots of negative and make stupid choices, they're resilient. And it's so important to understand that that particular quality and that particular word has a lot of meaning in our life, that we all, if we're depressed, if we're anxious, if we have problems that are overwhelming, we need to be resilient. And that means we need to be faith-driven. Whatever, if you look at that from a religious perspective, if you look at it from a relationship with God, if you look at it just in the sense of uh, living in faith that we're okay to, to make decisions, you're going to change your life. And that's a huge, huge thing for all people. You know, if you want to, you know, start with one word, you know, if you want to change your life, the easiest possible way is start with one word, replace one word that will transform the way you experience something negative, shift your emotional patterns. And that's the key to shaping our decisions, our actions and our life and how much influence we have. And then we make it a habit. That's a very important, you know, transformational vocabulary gives you the power to change your experiences in life by lowering the intensity of negative emotions and and how extraordinary your life will be when you consistently lower the intensity of negative emotions and intensify the positive ones. So, start small, you know, note the negative words and uh, instead of saying angry, say peeved instead of, uh, uh, or peeved instead of devastated. Or, or, or ecstatic instead of pleased, you know, that internal dialogue can change your life. You know, uh, 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 I have faith that I have faith that instead of I fear, I fear, I have faith that you see what happens is we convert our brain into something that is more resilient with the difficulties in life, you know, make your words worth. Don't name call. Don't criticize. Everyone is doing the best they can do at the moment in the time, and you have to be willing to accept that. And you also have to stop all your own self-deprecation. Never make your body or something you've accomplished or anything else in your life the butt of a joke. The words have power, and the quantum energy doesn't have a sense of humor. So resist gossip and speaking ill of other people. That says a lot about who you are. And, 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 and you go on a negativity diet. That would be a great thing for you to help you uh, get rid of all the negativity and, and boost the positive energy of words. And that's not being overly optimistic. That's being realistic. And that's being resilient. You know, if you have some negative uh, people in your fr- uh, list of friends, limit the time you spend with them. That's a huge thing. You know, uh, um, really character traits that you want to look for in a kid and you want to communicate if you have children is curiosity, self-control, social intelligence, zest, optimism, gratitude. These are great words for your kids to hear, you know, uh, doing hard, hard, tough, tough things, you know, uh, it really helps kids understand where they need to be in life, you know, Take chances. Failure is not a bad thing. It's important to do fail because it means that you're on the way to success because it helps develop character. You know, if you're able to bounce back from failure, it gives you a certain amount of resilience and confidence that next time you can experience a setback and recover and do it better. And and if you look at how kids succeed, Tough relates to the story, uh, uh, let's say, of uh, someone who teaches uh, chess as a way of showing kids how to benefit failure. You know, by learning from your, your losing at chess, you learn how to win and maybe be a good winner. So, you know... Poverty, illness, death, these are negative words. You know, passing might be a better word or not feeling well might be a better word or don't have as much money might be a better word or choice of words. All right, that's our show. I'd love to hear from you. You can do that through our webpage on voiceamerica.com, the Empowerment Channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Remember, the next time your kids tell you that you're yelling at them, let them know you are motivationally speaking. Also, parenthood is the scariest hood you'll ever make it through. (laughs) Why should you trust children? They're here to replace us. And when your children become teenagers, make sure to have a dog so someone is happy to see you when you come home. Thanks for listening.
0: That's our show for this week.